our theme and focus is on transformation and um, let's see. So uh, what we're doing here is we're talking about uh, just how the spiritual life, how God really does want to transform and change us somehow in some way this year. And there's so many different aspects of the spiritual life, so many qualities or practical applications that we can think of when we say spiritual life. And what we're doing together as a church and challenging each one of us to say, to ask God to say at least one area of the spiritual life that, that it might blossom in a supernatural way, that, that God's powerful hand might really work inside our lives in a particular area in our life that we really want to give to God, a particular discipline, a particular uh, area of influence, and really say, God, can you uh, truly fill me with power, transform this particular aspect in my life. Uh, as we seek the things that God wants, I really believe that, that God uh, will answer. He will answer, and he will do even more than what we ask for. God is a very good father when we seek him as his children. Uh, when we ask of the things that he really does want to do in our lives, he will do them. And don't be discouraged, don't be afraid to ask for great things, uh, big things, uh, because there's no task, we know that we believe really that there's no task too daunting, no sacrifice too great, that if God, um, that if God wants to do it, in our lives, that he will do it because he is, a, he is a great God and Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of whatever we lay before him. And so we wanna to continue to ask and pray that God will bring this spiritual transformation in each one of us. Now, our series is called To Be a Gracious Community in an Angry World, and we've seen that in our times, in our world around us, has been characterized by vitriol, which is cruel and bitter criticism and this is a picture many of you may have seen this this happened on the campus just recently of somebody just punched out a guy because of uh, uh, again political views and we want to ask you know how do we as Christians how can we be a source of grace in the name and the peace in the name of the gospel and we began talking about the idea of perspective that a disciple needs to have a a biblical worldview we talked about identity that as believers that we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ we talked about the idea of the love of Christ how important it is that that we engage the world with a love that exemplifies Jesus Christ that we look at others, uh, not in terms of categories or points of views or beliefs or actions, but we look at everyone as, as one who is created in the image of God, who is loved by Jesus Christ, who is lost without Jesus. Now today we wanna talk about a particular aspect of, of life in the 21st century, and that is the area of the influence of the internet on relationships and discipleship. Now, we know that this is really, in a sense, the first generation that has grown, that is going to grow up with internet the, entire, the entirety of their lives, meaning they have never known a point in their lives when there wasn't internet. Now, I know there's some of us here who know that there were times when we didn't have internet, and in fact, it seems like it's been around for a long time, but it's only been you know, really actively around for like 20, 30 years, which sounds like a long time, but in history, if you look at history, 20, 30 years is like, three decades is like nothing. In three decades, for the internet to grow from non-existent to uh, being a major, having a major presence in, in almost every aspect of our lives, um, that, that's amazing. The number of changes 
that, that our world and our generation needs to go through. And so we ask the question, what does this ancient book of the Bible have to say about we as Jesus followers, how to interact now with an internet society? So this morning what I wanna do is I wanna look at three biblical truths that I believe are an urgent priority as as we think about the the, the technological advances and how it's really changing us as a a people. So I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. And shall we stand in reverence for the word of God? Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 says, and he, gave the apostles, and he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the crap craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. May the God bless the reading of his words. You may be seated. See, from this passage, we're going to see really the challenge to spiritual maturity in an electronic age. That no matter what innovations may hit, may come our way and may, quote, revolutionize our world, the greatest need for Jesus' followers is to continue to mature in Jesus Christ. And I believe that the internet generation were faced with particular challenges and opportunities for spiritual growth. And we need to learn how to navigate them. The Apostle Paul, when he speaks uh, in verse verse 12, he speaks of the gifts that are given to the church, and he says they are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, Paul's main concern is the building up, the the, the edification of every follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, he uses this word in his letters, he uses the word building up or edification 15 times. And it's this picture of these infants that uh, are being tossed to and fro and saying we need to help uh, 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 young uh, Christians to to grow up in Christ, to grow strong so that when when the winds of change blow, when the influences and the teachings of this world uh, press in on them, that, that they can stand. And we've been talking about, you know, exposing kind of the deceitful schemes of Satan and how we need to really respond uh, through the gospel and through God's word. And, and so verse 15 really talks about uh, what one way in which we are to really grow, and that is speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way unto him or into him who is the head into Christ. Now, it says speaking the truth in love. Now, in English, truth is normally a noun. It's a subject or an object. But in the Greek, this word truth is actually a verb. And so what's literally being said here is rather truthing in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him. Truthing in love. Now, truthing involves living out everything. Everything that we say, everything we do, uh, according to our faith and our commitment to God and his word. 
That's truthing. That's, that's living according to God's truth. That's in everything that we do. The truth of God is, is directing and leading and moving out of, our, you know, of everything we say. And he also says that we do so in the love of Christ. So we truth in love, and we truth in the love of Jesus Christ. And so this, what we want to look at is basically three biblical truths uh, that are, are related to this idea of truthing and love. Now the first one is quite simply, as the verse says, speaking the truth in love. Now we think about communication. Communication is a skill, right? I mean basically there are certain people that we know that really know how to handle themselves in any situation, any conversation. They're just really good at, they know exactly what to say, they know exactly how to carry themselves. And you know, it's something that's learned. It's not just being an extrovert, right? Because we know there are some extroverts that are pretty awkward or whatever, you know, or they don't, you know, maybe not good in particular situations. Um, so, so, so to be able to communicate um, is a skill. And we know this. I mean, we, we learn through those awkward moments when we walk into a new classroom and we have all these new, I remember going to a new school, how awkward that was, trying to learn how to talk to people. Uh, when we go to a party, when we don't know who they are, uh, when we're called to entertain some client who has come in from, you know, from wherever, uh, from the East Coast, and, and, and we look at this and we say, well, you know, these are the, the opportunities that are given to us to learn how to grow in communication skills. Now, for most people in the world, uh, their, their, their goal is to make themselves look, make us look good, make ourselves look good, right? When we're talking with people, most people say, well, when I'm talking with strangers, when I'm meeting a whole bunch of people, my goal is to make myself look good. Now, for Jesus followers, the goal is to speak the truth in love for the sake of the gospel. That's really what it is. So we say, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, who is Christ. This is the ability to say the right things according to God's word in a way that is loving and gracious, right? That's what we really, really want. That's truthing in love. Now, one thing that we can do, now how do we do this? How do we grow in this ability? What, what, what are the skills or, or the things that we need to do to, uh, to do this? One thing that we can do, practical thing, of learning to speak the truth in love is to avoid what I call the smartphone posture, okay? So when you go into a room, you often see everybody assume the smartphone posture, right? You walk in and everybody's like, and like if you walk into a room and you're like, oh, I forgot my phone, then you're like, oh, I'll just use my hand, you know, I'll use my wallet or something, you know, because I feel awkward, like I don't want to talk to, I don't want to look around, like I don't have anything to do. Uh, and, and, and so we, we sit there and everybody's on their phone like this. Now, here's the thing, before there were phones, <laughs> when you walked into a social situation, and there were people in the room, what did you have to do? You had to force yourself to interact with them. You did not have the luxury to kind of sit in the corner and just sit with nothing. Like, it's, it's odd if there's two people in a room and they're just sitting doing nothing, but for some reason, when you have a phone, it's okay to sit in a room and not talk to each other. Uh, if you're riding in a car with somebody before phones, it was like you're supposed to talk to them. You don't just sit in the back and go, yeah, you know, you actually say stuff, but you know, now we sit in the back and we can, you know, phone everything. And even when we're eating meals with people, I, people I'm eating meals with, not people in church, but people outside, they'll be sitting talking to me, and then when there's a silent moment, they'll go to their phone because it's very awkward. So they'll be looking at their phone and stuff like this. 
and, and, and what's happening is we're not learning how to um, interact in situations that, that call for growing in communication. That when we're sitting in a car with a stranger, this is a way in which we learn to speak the truth in love rather than just have the phone and say, oh, oh this is awkward, so I'm going to get my phone out. When we come into a room, even coming to church, and let's say you come into to fellowship, you come in here, the young people, and say, oh, you know, oh, there's only two people in the room. Oh, good, I'll sit in the back and, and I'll be on my phone. And then it doesn't look awkward. But, you know, when I was a youth, if you sit in the back with nothing and you're sitting there in the back going like this, then it's really awkward. So you want to go and talk to people. And so what I feel is like right now, because of this smartphone posture, we have this excuse to not grow in speaking the truth in love. That when we feel awkward, when we're in an awkward situation, or when we're in a situation where normally God is saying, you need to go and talk to this person, you need to go and encourage this person, uh, we default to this very easy uh, smartphone posture. And we just sit. And other people sit in the smartphone posture, and no, everybody's kind of like, I don't want to interrupt that person because they're on their phone. But what are they really doing? They're probably just playing a game. So you can interrupt them. Why not? Interrupt me. No. But I mean, you know, it's good for them. Interrupt them. Get them engaged in a conversation. I mean, this is really important. Force yourself to notice people around you. When you stand in line, force yourself to notice the person in front of you, what they're doing. Uh, talk to them rather than on your phone, online. I'm standing in line. If I have my phone, I'll just sit on the phone until I get to the front. If I don't have a phone, I'll actually be looking at the person in front of me and trying to think, oh, you know, what are they thinking? Oh, good, they have a Raiders cap. I can talk to them about sports, you know, or whatever. Or uh, they're, they're talking about their kid, you know, and I'm like, oh, I can talk to them about their kid, things like that. And so without the phone, it now starts to force me to say, no, who's, what they're talking about in front of me? Who's in behind me? Do I want to really sit in a line and just stand there? Do I really want to go into a room and just stand there? Or do I want to force myself to engage and begin to talk and begin to learn how to speak the truth in love? It's not going to just happen because we pray for it and just say, I want to speak the truth in love because the God's word. We have to do it. Uh, we really want to go from this to this. I mean, really, you look at the situation and say, dude, is this what I want my life to be? I know young people say, yeah, yeah, no, this is what we want. I mean, look how happy they are. No, this is engagement. I really do believe that this is what God wants, is for God's people to engage, to smile, to gesticulate, to move, to, to talk, because they're communicating with each other. And this doesn't just happen. This happens because people work really hard in awkward situations because they are awkward, and they work hard to begin to learn how to engage people in conversation. This is very, very important. Another way which is important in terms of maturing to speaking the truth in love is understanding the consequences of our words. For some of us, it's not that hard to speak the truth. Hey, I, we just say, hey, I'm truthful. I just say it as it is. But to speak the truth in love, that's hard. Paul says we're not just responsible to get the truth out there. Paul says we're responsible to get the truth out in love. That we have to take responsibility for the consequences of our words and what it does in the life of others. Way back on YouTube, there was this thing called the knockout game. I don't know if you've seen it. It's really pathetic. 
basically, it's really like disturbing. And the challenge was is you would videotape yourself, your friend would videotape you, you're a young person, and you randomly punch someone in the street and try to knock them out with one punch. I'm serious, this, they were actually posting these videos. And, and so people would go for weak people and just these guys would just run up and punch them in the face or punch them in the stomach and then just take off. And the guy would be lying on the ground. And some of them would be actually be knocked out and then they would put it on the video on YouTube and they'd get all these, uh, these uh, views and all these likes because they, they succeeded in, in knocking this person out. Now, if you think about this, it's very vicious. It's, it's, it's very jaded to physically punch someone and then just walk away seeing this person lying on the street out cold because of what you did to them. Because you see the consequences of your actions and to remain unmoved by those consequences is heartless because you're jaded. See, this is the danger of internet communication is that it can make us jaded to the consequences of our words, right? All words have consequences, good and bad. All our words leave lasting effects on our hearers. And sometimes our words can actually be more painful than a punch in the gut or a punch in the face. And if we don't see, if we don't speak to one another, we don't see the consequences of our words and we can hurt someone and, and leave them lying on the ground not even knowing what our words have done to that person. And then we just walk away and text somebody else and do our homework or, or, or talk with our friends or things like that. These are the, the consequences of our words. It's something that we, when we speak face to face and we realize when we say something, oh my gosh, I hurt their feelings. I didn't mean to hurt their feelings. Oh, I didn't realize that what I was saying was so strong. I need to say it in a different way. Or uh, I need to be careful about some of the things that I'm saying. I need to, to think about what truth I'm sharing, and how I am sharing it so that I share it in love. And the only way that we can do that is, is to speak face to face, is to really interact face to face, see and feel the consequences of your words on other people. And you may realize that some of the things that we say online, uh, we, will, we will just you know, say something and, and walk away, or we'll, we'll write something and, and walk away and not realize how much our words have hurt somebody else. And God says we must take responsibility for those words, even if we don't see what they've done. But as we speak the truth in love, we take the responsibility for the consequences of our words. Second truth, shut up and serve. Now, I don't like the word shut up, but this is just so that everything starts with an S. <laughs> But anyways, verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped with every, word, every part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, if you look at this, <clears throat> there are certain areas of spiritual maturity that can only happen when we stop talking and get out and serve and really, you know, serve people. I like it how Paul puts it. He says, when every part is, each part is working properly, then the body grows. He's saying basically you can't mature in Jesus Christ. You can't do your part when we spend a majority of our time simply sitting at our computer or at our phone. Time really comes when we really have to just shut up, 
stop texting, stop talking, and really get out and serve. I mean, Paul's talking about all these spiritual gifts, and talking really wasn't one of the spiritual gifts. I mean, it can be used as a spiritual gift, but just merely talking is not a way to necessarily build up. We, we, we need to really, I'm going to say, get up and serve. Okay, this is not just in the church, but this is outside the church as well. In his book, and we've been looking at this book, Christians in an Age of Outrage, and, and Stetzer writes this. He, he, he talks about saying that the internet can really, instead of, of, of making us more aware of different points of views, what it can do is actually make us more angry. And, and what I think of this is as kind of like a spiritual, what I would call a spiritual myopia. Myopia is actually nearsightedness. Nearsightedness means you can only see things that are near you and everything that is far away becomes fuzzy, becomes indiscernible. You're, you're not really sure because it's too far away. Now because of the internet, we have all these uh, news feeds, blogs, podcasts become a daily part of our routine, right? When I wake up in the morning, I go get breakfast and I say, uh, Alexa, uh, daily news feed. And it'll just give me, you know, the verse for the day. It'll give me NPR news. It'll give me KPIX uh, 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 local news. And then it'll give me ESPN. That's all that I want to hear in the morning. And in just 10 minutes, I can get it all done. But, you know, we have all these news feeds and blogs. It becomes kind of like our, our, our daily meal. We get fed with it. When you're, when you're, tr when you're commuting, you know, you, you maybe listen to, your favorite podcast or maybe you're home and oh your your youtuber you know whatever he's he's got his next thing up and you want to watch it now Stetzer he says here there's a danger with this <clears throat> because there's so many different types of podcasts and um, you can choose what happens is is that it's natural for us to surround ourselves with the podcast the news feeds <clears throat> that we generally agree with right? The things that the political views that we agree with or the spiritual views that we agree with, the point of views that we agree with is <clears throat> we'll start surrounding ourselves with those podcasts. Oh, he just came out with a new one. Oh, you know, this, this latest uh, political analyst or whatever. <clears throat> oh, thanks. And, um, <clears throat> and what happens is, is that Stetzer has been noticing that in a time when we have more choices than we can imagine, our nation has actually become narrower in its thinking. Why? Because we have too many choices. We can't listen to every single point of view. So what do we do? We choose the points of view that are closest to us, and it just stokes our anger. When you hear a person uh, who talks about your own political views and they start talking about, you know, this person, that, and you go, oh, man, I can't believe they did that. Oh, I can't believe they believe that. Oh, you know, this and that. And it starts stoking this anger. And then you start listening to this, and they're really good. Some of these guys are really good at manipulating, like, your anger and, and bringing up certain information. You're like, oh, you know, and what it does is it starts to actually narrow our thinking. It starts to um, make us prejudice. It starts to entrench us in certain points of view because we keep hearing it over and over again. Rather than being more uh, uh, conciliatory or, or more understanding, we become more intolerant and, and less open. 
See, when Jesus brought the message of the gospel to the world, he, he brought the love of God in a very real, physical, present manner, right? He walked among the poor. He walked among the Samaritans. He touched the leopard. He dined with tax collectors and sinners. And he didn't just do this for himself. He brought the disciples with him. They were sitting with him with all the tax collectors eating a meal. They, 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 he didn't allow them to just surround themselves with good, spiritual, you know, righteous people. He, he said, you know, you got to go to these places and, and James and John would say, oh man, they rejected you. Can you just, just tell us and we'll call fire to come down on this city. And, and Jesus said, no, that's not the point. We're going to these cities. We're feeling that rejection. We're, we're feeling that, these things so that we understand that, that, that this is a world that really needs Jesus. Jesus set that example. Uh, uh, for those who need healing, for those who need a word of rebuke, for those who need words of hope and salvation, we have to get up and serve. That's the that's really what's going to change things. Serve your neighbor. Be challenged in your vision and your compassion for the world. Another thing, that uh, reason why we need to get up and serve is because of the fake world of Facebook. Now, I know a lot of people don't use Facebook anymore, but fake world of Facebook, FF, sounds really good again. Um, <clears throat> We're always, I mean, you know, we're always concerned about getting our likes. You know, Facebook, Facebook will actually say, this is your most liked post. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, that's all I got. Um, and this all feeds into our self-image, right? So we start thinking of the world and ourselves in, in different ways. We start thinking of our self-worth, defining who I am by, you know, how, uh, how we are on Facebook. Now, here's how accurate Facebook is in, is in determining how accurate it is in determining our identity because I, I actually did this this thing well actually Facebook actually asked me if I wanted to and they said you know how this is who you are based on your posts okay I didn't even answer any questions they just looked at all my posts for the, all the years that I'm on Facebook and it says Harrison your vocabulary on Facebook shows you're 34 years old I'm like, okay that's not bad you're most probably 31% Russian I don't know uh, your favorite activity is dancing everywhere and again I have no idea why that's on there you can check my Facebook you know <laughs> and your nickname is loco legs and that okay and of course Mike Wu says nailed it you know but anyways um, <laughs> that was his comment but at any rate why should we let social media determine who we are when it has no idea who we are? And why do we let social media determine how we look at others? It has no idea who they are. Get out there and be with people. Be with people who are different than you. Don't just put your opinions out there. Process them with others through conversation. Don't just vent your anger and frustration through posts, Instagrams, and Snapchats. Process it with real people. Don't just throw out your anxieties and fears and, and disappointments out there for everybody to like or to say, I'm sorry, or put emojis on there. No, you, you, you process it with people. It's not as simple as saying, oh, you know, I, I, I'm really disappointed, blah, 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 and oh, send a little emoji that's crying. Does that really help you process the pain that you're going through and the struggles you're going through? No, it doesn't. It just shows a little face, it's crying, saying, okay, I know my friend is crying, but, you know, for me, but we're not talking about it. 
We're not talking about, you know, why I feel so hard, so, so, so abandoned when, when my friend moved to a, another place or, or why I, I felt so hurt when some, so-and-so said something to me or I felt so discouraged about this. You're not processing it because you're just throwing it out there online and people are just saying, praying for you, praying for you, uh, love you, uh, happy face or crying face, sad face. And, 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 and these things are not, this is not growing truth. This is not the, speaking the truth in love. This is not getting out there and really understanding how to really communicate and talk and, and build the skill of, 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 of speaking the truth in love. Of really being there for a friend who's hurting. And rather than just putting an emoji and walking away, being there. Maybe it takes longer than just one minute or two minutes to type something up. Maybe it takes an hour to sit there with them in quietness and silence until they're ready to talk. And then it maybe takes another hour to sit and talk and process it together. That's what's required for relationship. That's what's required for speaking the truth in love. Putting your arm around somebody, knowing when it's the right time to put your arm around somebody, knowing when it's the right time to shut up and just sit there and listen, knowing when it's the right time to say just the right word or just the right piece of scripture or just the right encouragement. Those things don't just happen. We learn, we grow, we learn to do these things when we get up and get off our computers and serve one another and really serve one another. Finally, speaking the truth in love, shut up and serve, seek to edify. Matthew 12, 13 says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good out of the good stored in him. The evil man brings evil out of the evil stored in him. And here's the kicker. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For your words, by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now this is very sobering words, and Jesus was speaking specifically to the Pharisees who were able to say all these things, but yet their words betrayed them, and he really said to them, hey, you know, the things that you say, you Pharisees, you're going to be either acquitted or condemned. It's gonna tell you, it's gonna tell us, everyone, who you are before God, by the things that you say and it's in this context that he said to them but I tell you men will have to give an account for the day of ju- the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken careless means without thought it means I didn't think about it it just kind of whatever to give an account means to collect and make payment for something uh, if, if somebody's going to give an account they start collecting your debt and asking you to make payment on that debt. That's what to give an account means. And Jesus is saying that for every word that we speak in our lifetime, God's going to collect them and make us make a payment on them for what they are. Now, we usually say to people, sorry, I didn't mean that, or sorry, I didn't know what I was saying. You know, when you receive that, you're like, that's not really an apology because that's not taking responsibility for the hurtfulness of one's words. Apology really means sorry, I should not have said those words. I was not very thoughtful. Growing in spiritual maturity means to take responsibility for our words and the consequences that they, again, the consequences they have on others. Carelessness is not an excuse. Jesus says even careless words are collected by God. Now we praise God, the Bible says we are forgiven, through the death of Jesus Christ, 
and his, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and, and we have forgiveness for every action and every word. So we will not pay for those words in terms of you know, going to hell or paying punishment for words that were hurtful. However, this still goes to the point that we must use words, or use words very carefully. Think about this idea. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up that fits the occasion, that you may give grace to all who hear. I went back to my Facebook and looked at my posts, the things that I said, and one was like, ha ha, next one, ha ha, next one, hmm, next one, go bears, next one, uh, <laughs> Uh, beast mode, next one, touchdown raiders. And I'm looking at that going, hmm, I wonder what people will think of me as they look at the words that come out of my fingers, if you want to say. But then there's also posts that say, I asked the worldview question today and got to share the gospel with someone at Starbucks just now. Woohoo! Uh, worship service and pray over here of Cambodia. Sweet. Uh, thank God for, for Rita. Uh, enjoying a time of solitude and prayer at Almaden Lake. God's beauty is all around us. We just need to quiet our souls and look up. Again, these things are also on uh, my Facebook. The internet gives us so many different ways to communicate, right? Opens up uh, whole audiences access for the gospel. And spiritual maturity is learning how to edify, how to use these opportunities to speak the truth in love. Are we giving glory to God, even in the simplest and shortest statements that we make? If someone were to dig down and collect all of our tweets and posts and, and, and our Facebook things and, and try to dig dirt and, and try to accuse us, would they find instead words of love, encouragement, Speaking of Jesus Christ, Stetzer writes these words. He says, as the Roman Empire expanded more than 2,000 years ago, one of the first things that the military did was build roads, bridges, and milestone markers. Standardized transportation drastically accelerated the pace at which people traded information and moved from city to city. An unintended consequence of this network was the unprecedented expansion of Christianity. Not only did the roads enable missionaries to travel faster, but because the roads were guarded by the Roman army, early Christians were actually protected from the common dangers of travel for, the, for centuries, which had, been restrict, which had been restricted for centuries. First century Christians expanded the gospel to the far reaches of the known world using the network of roads constructed by the Roman Empire. That's crazy. The Roman Empire, who was persecuting and trying to destroy Christianity, was actually improving the ways in which the gospel was being spread around the world. And he goes on to say, today, instead of a roads, we use a digital highway to advance the gospel. Technology is neither good nor bad. Like the Roman roads, it is a tool for God, a tool that God has provided. It can advance the gospel, but it can also become a, a modern tower of Babel, a place of pride uh, that tempts us to trust our own ingenuity. And he ends with this. He says, we simply need to harness these tools rather than allow them to master us. And that's the key. We think about how technology has changed us. In my own life, what I think about is technology has allowed me to work at home, which I find a blessing. I, haven't, I don't have to fight traffic. I don't have to worry about bad weather. I don't have to sit in a harsh cubicle. I can now work from the comfort of my own home, which I praise God. Technology has also allowed me once a week to make my office in the local Starbucks as well, which I have been doing 
almost every Wednesday of the week for the past several years. And I can tell you that in doing so at Starbucks, I have been <laughs> allowed by God to engage in so many conversations about Jesus, probably more so than I've ever had since college. Um, I've been given the opportunity to pray for others. I've been given the opportunity to be generous to others in the name of Christ, to serve others, to encourage others, to learn and to grow from others, not just to work, but to really shine for Jesus. See, it's always a choice. It's always a choice. It's your choice. It's my choice. For me, the choice is technology gives me a choice for the comfort of my own home or a choice to engage the community. And this morning, I want to challenge you. You pray and you ask God, what choice is he presenting to you right now in your circumstances? In what way am, am I being given the opportunity right now to choose engagement over comfort? Smartphones, we know, give a lot of comfort, give a lot of entertainment. We already know that. But what are the choices that we have right now, the opportunities that I have right now to choose engagement for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, over my own comfort, okay? Over my own entertainment, over my own convenience and what's easy for me. And I believe that every one of us have this choice. We can either mature in our spiritual life or we can be more entrenched in our bad habits. We can, we can, we can surround ourselves with comfort and ease, or we can push ourselves out into the world, the spiritual battle, where, where, where people are dying without Jesus Christ. And we need to really ask ourselves, um, with every way that I have now for communication, what am I doing to speak the truth of God in the love of Jesus Christ? Let's go ahead and let's, let's close in prayer. Let's close in prayer. Father, we praise and we thank you.